Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I'm Ben Duncan, and on this podcast, I will be interviewing prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Salesforce Ohana. In today's episode, I am joined by Eric Dreshfield. Eric is a Salesforce MVP Hall of Famer and product evangelist. Through the episode, we discuss Eric's background and how he found his way into Salesforce initially, and then the different roles that he has played over the years. We look at when he first became a Salesforce MVP and what saw him recognized as an MVP back then. And then we move on to personal branding, which is obviously a hot topic right now, but that's something Eric has become passionate about. So we explore when he first really discovered personal branding and when and how people were initially making plays in this space. We look at how having a personal brand has really helped his career and also the importance that he has found and put on building a network over the years and the value that he has had and gained from having that network. We then look at if he feels that networking is harder or easier now with so many people in the ecosystem and discuss how he stays on top of all of the content and information that's being created. And then it was really great to hear from Eric on some of his fondest memories in the Salesforce ecosystem. And he then shares some advice on if he was starting his Salesforce journey again today, how he would approach building a network and brand. So really, really interesting insight from Eric. Really great guy to have on the podcast. And I hope you enjoy the episode. If you do, please do subscribe for future episodes that are coming through. Eric, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure, Ben. It's happy to be here. I've got a lot to go through today. So thank you again. And we'll dive straight into you and a bit about your background. So what did you do before Salesforce? How did you find your way into this ecosystem? And, and when was that? Sure. So before Salesforce, I had a career path of a bunch of random stepping stones. The jobs I all had were very similar, kind of like business analyst, data analyst type of roles, but in a whole bunch of different industries, ranging from healthcare to transportation to retail even. And as how I managed to get into the Salesforce ecosystem, that took place in 2009. I had a really great job with a, a tech company in 2005, 2004. And the easiest way to describe why I ended up leaving there at the end of 2005 was I said something to someone very high up in the organization that was not appreciated. Essentially, (laughs) I challenged him on something and basically said, I can do something that you want me to do, but I can't do it in the three weeks time you you want it done and it's going to take me three months. And he didn't like that. And so six weeks later, I was out of a job. The following Monday, I basically was introduced to my replacement uh, and said, your job's gone in six weeks. And would you mind training this person before you leave on everything you're doing? Wow. Kind of crazy. But, you know, I was the only income for the family at the time. So I, I hung on to the job as long as I could and, and did the right thing or what felt like the right thing. But ultimately, after a couple of years worth of trying to find a job and then working a bunch of short-term contract jobs or several part-time jobs all at once, and sometimes literally working or driving between jobs 20 hours a day, I stumbled into a position at a software company that was initially a call center agent. They were getting ready to roll out one new piece of software from their company. 
and they needed four new agents to help them with the launch of that new software product. So they brought me in as a temporary call center agent. It was an interesting experience. I, I saw a job advertised in the paper because this was like late 2008, early 2009, and ads were still in the paper for jobs. So I sent in a resume and I get a phone call from this recruiter on a Sunday afternoon. And she says, hey, we got your resume. We like what we see. Can you be at this company's office tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. for some skills testing and some interviews? And if they like you, can you start immediately? And at that point in time, the only job I had that I was working on a regular basis was like a third shift position, stocking shelves at a department store overnight. And so I thought, well, sure, I can do that. I can keep both jobs, work eight to five or seven to four, and then go back to the other job at eight o'clock at night and, and everything will be fine. And so I, I go to this office that next day and I take their test and I go through this interview process with their hiring managers. And they, they sit me in another room for a couple minutes while they evaluate and discuss things. And they come back to me and they said, first off, we've never had anybody score 100 on the test. So congratulations on that. And second, can you start right now? And it's like, yeah, I can do that. It's like, it was kind of cool. It was kind of interesting. I mean, I was kind of excited about it. Uh, even though I knew going into it, I was told it was an eight-week job. So the eight weeks came and went. The call volume was really light. The three other people that started that same day with me, they were already gone over the course of that eight weeks because the call volume was so light. But they kept me on, and I assumed maybe it was because I did a better job than the other three they hired. And so they started training me on all of their software products. And over the course of the next six months, granted, remember, this was an eight-week assignment, I was told. So now I've been there six months, and I've been trained on all their software. I'm functioning as a regular call center agent, but I'm still this temporary employee. Six months in, I get a call from the HR department, and she says, hey, Eric, we finally have a position available as a permanent member of our team. It's doing exactly what you're doing today, supporting our customers through the call center. But because you'd be a company employee, there's more money, there's benefits. Are you interested? And it's like, yes, please. I mean, right. Yeah. I don't need to think about that one. And she says, great, we've got an interview process we're going to put you through. It's like, okay, well, I interviewed for the job once and I got it. And I think to myself, I can interview for this job a second time and get it, especially since I've proven myself and I've been here for six months already. So a couple of days later, I get on the phone with their VP. She's in their San Diego corporate office. I'm in their satellite office in Evansville, Indiana, where the call center is. And she says, Eric, I've reviewed your performance in the call center, and I know why you're still here. You do a great job. Our customers are happy with what you do, and you solve their problems quickly. So thanks for all that. She says, and I've looked at your previous work experience and all the companies you've worked at and the things you've done in your past. And she says, I really just have one question I want to ask you. Well, my imposter syndrome kicks in, and I'm thinking, great, a one-question job interview. Should I listen to the question? and answer it? Or should I just get up and walk away now figuring I'm not going to get the job? So I said, okay, what's your question? And she says, why are we wasting your time and ours having you support our customers when there's so many other things you can do to help this company move forward? Wow. And I gave her the only answer I could, which was, well, the call center agent job is the only thing you have available. And her response to me on that was, that's true right now, she said, but give me three weeks I'm working on a business analyst role to help us launch Salesforce to the call center that you're now working in. And I think you're perfect for that job. Wow. And I said, wow, that's great. But what's Salesforce? I've never heard of it. <laughs> and 
three weeks later, I'm on the job as this business analyst helping this software company launch Salesforce to this call center with no prior Salesforce experience, no training, no knowledge on Salesforce. And it was it was fun. It was challenging. It was fast paced. It was amazing. I mean, it was it was wild. She, the, the one thing she did tell me early on was find a local user group and meet lots of people that you can that are already using Salesforce and learn from them about what they're doing, how they overcame their problems. And she said, primarily because I can't send you to training. We don't have the budget. So my, my early days of learning Salesforce was relying on what little community there was at that point in time, because this was 2009. The user group community was super small back then. I had to drive between two and five hours each way to get to a user group meeting because there wasn't one locally. That and Google and Salesforce help and training and lots of trial and error and playing in the sandbox. So that's how I got into Salesforce. I stumbled into a job that became a BA. I hope she gave you time off to go to the user groups if she wasn't paying for your training. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, she was, that was considered work time for me. She encouraged okay. it. She, she was supportive of that. I even had to spend the night one time because the drive was to Chicago and back, which was a 10-hour round trip. Uh, so I drove up the night before, spent the night in a hotel, went to a meeting, and came home the next day. But, yeah, it's, it, was a, it was a fun ride, that's for sure, and I learned a ton. Yeah, for sure. So did you immediately like because that's a level of commitment, right? Even though they were letting you go and and doing that during business hours, like that still takes a lot of commitment to drive to Chicago for a user group. And at that point where Salesforce wasn't kind of, I guess, as mainstream as it it then went on to become, did you think you were investing your time in the right place? And and did you feel that you'd found your career at that point? You know, I I think at, at that point in time, I was probably thinking it's still just a job, a decent paying job that seemed fun and seemed exciting. It probably took another year or so before I started to realize that this whole Salesforce thing, there's something to it. And I could probably really build a career and expand my horizons and get better paychecks and (laughs) all that kind of stuff that goes along with it. Yeah, for sure. So where did you go then? Like, How did your career evolve in the Salesforce space from there? What have you gone on to do since? Yeah. So I, besides that role, which I was in that company for about, probably about three years, and then I moved to a, a local company in town that was implementing Salesforce that I actually met. The guy that became my boss there came to a user group meeting. By then, I was running a user group in my local city. After about eight months or so of that driving around to user groups all over the place, I said to myself, I can't be the only one in Evansville, Indiana using Salesforce. So I found somebody at Salesforce to ask the question, hey, what's it take to start a user group in my city? And their response was, congratulations, thanks for volunteering to lead the user group. (laughs) And I kind of laughed at him and I said, that's not what I asked. (laughs) I said, I I, I want a group here. I want to learn. I'm the wrong person to lead this because I know nothing. And after a few more conversations, they convinced me that I'm probably the right person to lead a group because I'm so curious for the knowledge and because I want to learn as much as I can. So I launched the user group that was, I think, in like May of 2010. And I had six people show up at the first meeting. Those six people still come to the meetings today, along with anywhere between, I don't know, 15 and 50 more, depending on the date and the time and the topics of the meetings and things like that. But that was pretty eye-opening to me just to start leading a user group. And I think that kind of amped up my own commitment to the Salesforce world and the career and, and all of that. Then in at Dreamforce 2014, I saw a demo of a product that I th- 
don't even know if it's still out there anymore. It was a product that Aptus had. I know Aptus, the name, Aptus is no longer in the ecosystem. They were acquired or merged with Conga a year or two ago. Uh, but there was this one particular product that Aptus had back then that I just saw and kind of fell in love with and decided just by seeing this product and envisioning lots of use cases for it that I wanted to go work for the company. And so over the course of the next roughly year and a half, I had a few job interviews at Aptus, had some conversations with them, and nothing worked. I couldn't find a job that fit me, that seemed right. And their recruiter finally said to me, you know, we've been at this for a while and nothing's, we're not getting the connection properly. So what is it you really want to do? What are you good at? What do you want to do for us? Why do you think there's value in it? And I said, well, you know, I said, here's the stuff I'm really good at in Salesforce. I've implemented service in Sales Cloud. I do reporting and dashboards all the time. Uh, that's the stuff I'm super strong at. But what I'm really excited about, what I'm really passionate about is helping people who have questions connect to people who have answers. And she said, okay, so let me think about that for a little while longer. And a few days later or a week or so later, I got another phone call from her and she says, I'd like to introduce you to some members of our marketing department. And I thought, well, marketing? She says, I don't know anything about marketing. She says, okay, but sure, why not? So it, ultimately at, at Dreamforce 2015, a full year later, when after seeing this demo, I'm in a meeting with two or three members of, the, of Aptus's marketing department. I called it a meeting. They probably called it a job interview. And we're talking about me and what I'm excited about and why I wanted to come work at Aptus. And I remember very clearly their senior VP of marketing at the time says, so... I know who you are. I know what you do. I've been to Midwest Dream, and so I understand who you are as a person and what you're really passionate about. She says, but tell me about your marketing experience. <laughs> and I said, I'm sorry. I don't have any. I said, I have no marketing experience. I've got a bachelor's degree in economics. I've worked in IT. I mean, I've done all these BA stuff. And I said, I don't have any marketing experience. And she says to me, sorry, but you're wrong. I said, what do you mean? And she says, well, the year you started Midwest Dream and how many people showed up? And I said, well, about 100. And she said, in the second year when you held it, the year that she was a speaker at Midwest Dream and when I first met her, she said, how many people showed up there? And I said, well, that was 500. And she said, that was four years later, right? Three years later, 2011 to 2014. I said, yeah. She says, well, you don't get that kind of growth without marketing. So whatever you did to promote the event during those three years and, and leading up to the 2014 event, it worked. So you have marketing skills, whether you realize it or not. I thought, huh, I guess she's right. And then she hires me into a marketing role, essentially as a product evangelist for that product I fell in love with, even though I was never a customer of the company. I saw the demo at Dreamforce and just said, I want to work there. And so they created this role for me as a product evangelist. And then I spent my time talking about this product in the Salesforce ecosystem, hosting webinars, writing blogs, speaking about it wherever I could. And it was, it was a blast. I had a lot of fun with that job. And ultimately, what happened behind the scenes through that, that I didn't realize at first until somebody kind of pointed it out to me was I was building a personal brand. People started to recognize who I was, what I stood for, what I knew about, and, and the strength that I had of really connecting people to have those questions to those people who had the answers, even if it wasn't at the company I was working at. I seem to always know who to talk to if you had a very specific question in the ecosystem. And I think that just came about from my own curiosity, I guess, of who's who does what. And 
I got into Twitter, I think in 2012, just started following people to listen to conversations and then found myself engaging in conversations. I mean, I've got 17,000 plus Twitter followers today. I haven't really done anything in my mind to go out and actively seek them, but I gain a hundred followers a week probably. So it's, uh, it's been a, it's, been a wild ride and in kind of an organic growth of the personal brand. Yeah, nice. but thinking back to to that conversation when somebody pointed out people know who you are, then it hit me. I've got this thing, this personal brand, and I should take advantage of it and try to help build on that. So that's I think part of the strength I can bring to an organization too is that recognition. Yeah, for sure. And I, I've got some questions on the personal brand, but one thing I just focusing back on on that kind of early days. And obviously, you you became an MVP, and now you're you're an MVP Hall of Famer. So, what right. what do you think back then when you first became an MVP? What was it that you were doing that saw you recognized as someone that was providing that value to the ecosystem? Yeah, so it was 2013 when I became an MVP the first time around. So I had run Midwest Dream in one year in 2011, and then I had launched the user group in 2010. Uh, and it was still running at that point. It still is today. But I mean, those were the two things I was really doing in the community actively, although Midwest Dreaming was kind of deactivated for a year or two. But that was really it. I mean, I was leading the user group and I was leading the efforts for Midwest Dreaming. And I guess that's how I got noticed uh, in the ecosystem. And And someone nominated me to become an MVP. And I guess Salesforce liked it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, because I, I guess being an MVP is different. Like, I think a lot of people um, now associate being an MVP with being like seen and visible online and like having a personal brand. But I guess the actual, the, the truth behind being an MVP is the value that you add. It's not so much how much you're seen, it's what you do in the ecosystem to help bring others on the journey, right? Yeah, definitely. That That's really, I think, the, the whole story about the MVPs is the ones who make the best MVPs are the ones that kind of hide in the shadows but lift other people up yeah absolutely so the the whole topic of personal branding like now it's a big thing now it's you know i i speak about it's important to have a personal brand and but i think that's and a lot of people do you know you've got chris hopper other recruiters that talk to their community and their candidates about why that's important and then you've got all sorts of different people in the ecosystem talking about why it is important but when did it start to become a thing? And um, where, where did you see, you, you mentioned your growth has been organic, but when did you feel that people really honed in on having a personal brand? And what were some of the, the earlier plays? Like how were people approaching building a brand back in the earlier days of Salesforce? Yeah, definitely a great question. For me, I think it was, it was around that 2014, 2015 time period when I realized I had started building a personal brand and it kind of got pointed out to me by another individual when we were standing in line at Dreamforce waiting on a session. Uh, and she, she just simply said, you know, Eric, whenever I have a question about something really specific in Salesforce, if I can't find the answer and can't find someone that knows it, she says, I always come to you. And, and you always either know the answer or you know somebody who knows the answer. And, and she said, it's like you're Kevin Bacon in the Salesforce world. She says, you're six degrees away from the answer to every Salesforce question. Uh, yeah. and, and I grabbed onto that. My mind my mind grabbed onto that and said, there's a blog series in there. So I grabbed that and then I, I then became the self-proclaimed Kevin Bacon of the Salesforce ecosystem. And, you know, people still call me that. Today, I don't do a whole lot to perpetuate that, except it's probably on a tagline somewhere that I use in a, in a presentation. But as soon as that person said that to me, I realized this personal branding thing is big, I mean, or could be. 
in that same kind of time period within the Salesforce ecosystem, we saw names like Mike Gerholt growing his own personal brand. You know, before he became the admin evangelist at Salesforce, he was Mike Gerholt, the button click admin. He had a huge personal brand. He always wore the red shirts and had his button click podcast and his website and his blog posts. And everybody just started to know him as the button click admin. And I think when he moved into Salesforce, the company Salesforce has kind of perpetuated that by creating the admin evangelism program. And, and you know, that's grown by leaps and bounds as well since then. But there's, there's a lot of great examples of, of other people in the ecosystem that have built personal brands around one small idea. Um, David Liu, longtime Salesforce MVP as well. He has his SFDC 99 website, uh, and he's always talking about this. Anybody can learn to code. Uh, and I think his, his mantra on that, that website is, this is Salesforce for the other 99%. He, he shares tons of stories about people who, who knew nothing about Salesforce, started learning, got certified, got great jobs, uh, people moving in from really bad situations or, or tough life situations and, and learning Salesforce and watching their lives transform. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a, it's definitely interesting to to think about personal branding. I mean, brands have, in the company side of things, brands have been around for hundreds of years. I mean, you think back to the beginning of Coca Cola or the Ford Motor Company or something like that. I mean, those are those are big names everybody knows. They recognize the logos. When they see the logo, they know what it stands for. Um, back in college, I remember taking a class on business organizations, and we discussed the Coca Cola Company in particular. And what the professor was telling us was Coca-Cola is not really selling a product, even though they had lots of products back then. He says, what they're really doing is selling a solution to the, the problem that everybody has, which is thirst. You get thirsty, you want a Coke. I mean, in the US, at least people say, can I have a Coke? Whether they mean Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Mountain Dew, it doesn't matter. Can I have a Coke? And there's yeah. dialects all around the world and various regions in the U.S. where it's a little different. But that's kind of become synonymous with I'm thirsty. I need a drink. Can I have a Coke? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think there's some people in this ecosystem who have similar branding with their own personal their personal brands where they where you can just mention their name and everybody knows what you're talking about or they know what that person's strengths are or how to connect with them or whatever. Here's a question though. Like when you're working in a role like that as a Aptus, as a product evangelist, how do you separate your personal brand from the brand of the product or the company? Because like if you're already seen online as someone that is, you know, talking about a product or, you know, a use case and solving problems and webinars, like how, how do you become a brand and not just promote the product or the company that you're working for? That's a, that's a great question. And, and I got another story on that one that we'll cover in just a quick second. I think there, there are good, there's good things and bad things, I suppose, reasons perhaps to, to separate the two. And I think from my perspective, the personal brand is what helped me to get the role at Aptus because the, the marketing leaders at Aptus knew who I was. They knew my personal brand and, and the value that could bring to an organization after we had enough conversations. From the perspective of how do I maintain some separation? I mean, the, the things I do professionally or did professionally for Aptus, I was always wearing the Aptus logo. Uh, I always had that, that. Back then, they had the bright green polo shirts. Uh, so I always had the bright green polo shirt with the Aptus logo on it. I was at conferences. I was at events talking about the company. 
But there were things I was doing as Eric Dreshfield still outside of that, running the user group, running Midwest Dreamin', uh, writing some blogs on my own that had nothing to do with Aptus uh, that I I probably still mentioned Aptus somewhere in there just simply because it was my job title, but I didn't push the Aptus message. So I think the the separation of what I'm talking about and, and the situational awareness probably helps maintain the professional versus the personal side. But thinking about it a little longer, the question you just asked me, how do I separate your two brands? Peter Coffey actually asked me that very question. I think it was 2016. He was he was going to be keynoting the partner keynote at Dreamforce, and wanted to talk about community led events like Midwest Dreamin'. And he he said, "When I'm talking about you and Midwest Dreamin', how do I separate, or do you want me to separate you as the Aptus evangelist versus you as the chairman of Midwest Dreamin', or you as the MVP, or, or the user group leader?" He said, "What? How do you want me to talk about you?" And my first thought was, "Huh, I never really thought about that." Uh, and then I said, well, Peter, you know what? I said, all of those things make up me and who I am. So lump them all together. I'm fine with that. And so, you know, it's it, it was an interesting question to begin with. And my, my initial reaction then was they all make up part of who I am today. And even though I'm not working at Aptus anymore, I mean, it's still part of my history. Uh, even though the company's changed and things like that, it's still, it's part of the journey I went through and part of how I got to where I am today. So I still yeah. feel like there's value in all of that. I mean, even today, I'm a product evangelist now at Mowgli. Uh, and so it's it's a very similar role. I'm, I'm out there trying to help this small company grow by getting better brand awareness, and brand recognition around the product that we have to offer and and getting myself out there in front of user groups and and we're sponsoring events as best we can in this covid world and uh, so it's uh it's very similar yeah it's an interesting thought isn't it and i think a lot of people maybe that are you know wanting to build a brand are hesitant because maybe how their company might feel or you know worried about saying something that, that their company wouldn't agree with or that that differentiation between like i'm i'm speaking on behalf of myself and not for my company or you know i'm i'm sharing this material on behalf of myself and like i think some people get a bit nervous about that what would you say about like if someone is new to the ecosystem and looking to uh, or maybe not even new someone that's been in the ecosystem for a long time even but th- that has never invested in their own brand like how do you get over that hesitancy to to start putting yourself out there and and saying things and giving your opinion and views yeah, definitely. And that's a really good question. And there there certainly are going to be some companies out there that are not going to want you to do that. So the first thing I would say is check with your company if you signed an agreement when you got hired or whatever. Check the wording in your agreement to make sure it's okay with that company if you're out there posting things on social that have nothing to do with the company. They may not like that. From from a integrity perspective, I, I always preface things. Um, I mean, it's right there on my Twitter profile. All views are my own, those kinds of things. Make sure that you have have those disclaimers, if that's the word I'm looking for, uh, mm-hmm. where people can find them so they realize that what you're saying and the opinions you're talking about are truly just yours. And you're not sharing a brand. Uh, I mean, obviously, in a product evangelism role, then you have to. Uh, and so they kind of mix together a little. But, you know, it's it's the hardest part about that, I think, is really getting started. And that's where a lot of people may hesitate because to start building a brand for yourself, you got to get over the fear. 
of, of putting yourself out there and saying something or doing something. My wife tells me pretty often regarding raising our children to choose your arguments carefully. And I think there's a lesson to be learned there about how to share information and, and knowledge in the Salesforce ecosystem too. And it's probably more on the lines of share things appropriately to the audience that you're looking to gain and avoid arguments. Maybe that's a good way to put it. You know, everybody who posts on social media is going to tick somebody off once in a while. They're not going to like how you said something. They may not like a the color you used, who knows? But, you know, and if they respond to one of your tweets saying, no, sorry, you're wrong. Here's why I say you're wrong. Don't respond back and start getting into an argument with them. Just say, hey, thanks for your, your feedback. I appreciate it. I never looked at it that way and move on. It's, you know, my wife says that to pick your arguments carefully with the kids. And then, of course, occasionally she'll tell me, uh, sometimes you got to be a grown up, Eric, which means stop arguing with the kids because you're stooping down to that level and you're wanting to pick a fight. <laughs> yeah, it, it's so true. And I think, like, I think that's one of the scary things for people is like, well, what happens if I get any negativity? But it happens. And I don't really post on Twitter, I post on LinkedIn a lot. And I, a lot of my posts are opinionated, or they, they sometimes go against the grain, because you know, it's what I'm seeing in the market, but not everyone will be speaking to as many Salesforce professionals as I do every day. So right, they right. might disagree with it. And I remember when I first got some pushback on some of my posts, it, it did like it made me take a step back and think, you know, should I carry on doing this? But ultimately, everyone has an opinion. And it's absolutely a safe place for people to voice their opinions, as long as it doesn't turn into like a slagging match where people are, you know, getting fueled up because they have differing opinions. But it's, a, it's quite healthy to have a debate as long as you're not overstepping that line. Absolutely agree with that. So you're um, obviously with Aptus, your personal brand was the first kind of time you you saw a business or, or career benefit from having one. But has that continued throughout your career? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, every every role I've had since Aptus, um, I think, came about because of my personal brand. And I mean, even most recently, well, let's go back. Let's go back 17, 18 months or so. I was working for a small SI partner at the time who was really struggling because of COVID. A lot of their projects were getting put on hold. So they had to, had to figure out a way to cut the staff. The founder of that organization had started the company to bring people outside of the technology world from underrepresented communities into tech, train them up on how to be Salesforce consultants. So she was, she was providing a great service, in my opinion, to help others get a better life. And when I first started working for for her, it was it was a part time role for me. She needed some help with marketing, and I was happy to do that for her. And at the time, she she basically said, "I can pay you for a hundred hours a month." Uh, and but which, what she was willing to pay me was equal to my salary at Aptus for many many more hours than a hundred hours a month. And at that point in time, lots of things had changed at Aptus over the the last few years, and it wasn't the place that it felt like it was right for me to be anymore. So I was happy to to walk away from Aptus and, and take this role with her, even at a part-time role doing that. But then, you know, then COVID hit, as I mentioned, and things were really struggling there. And the founder and I got into this conversation around how are we going to make ends meet? How are we going to cut the budget? And, and I said, to her, I said, you know, I have 10 years in this ecosystem already. I've got a, a really strong personal brand. I know a ton of people. I said, I'm just going to leave. I said, take me off your payroll. I'm just leaving. I'm walking away. 
use whatever money you can to help keep your consultants busy, to help keep them with good work. I said, I'll just walk away. And she was shocked at first that I was willing to do that. But I, I said, you know, within a month, I'll have another job. It's kind of how confident I felt back then. And my job search, and, and maybe as a as a Salesforce jobs consultant person like you yourself, you may think this is a little unconventional. And maybe you don't want to recommend this approach to many people. But my job search back then was not talk to a recruiter, check out company websites, go to indeed.com and search for Salesforce administrator. I just looked at my network and thought, who do I know really well at companies that I feel like are good companies that I'd be comfortable working at? And I sent out about 15 emails that just simply said, hey, I don't know if you have any jobs open that I'm qualified for, but I'm on the market and wondered if we should talk. That was it. Just plain and simple. I'm open to, to having a conversation. I'm looking for a new job. And within two and a half weeks, I had probably 15 job interviews at maybe 13 or 15 different companies and two job offers out of that. And I mean, I would the, recommend that. that's the best approach. Like it's the power of your network, right? Like if you yeah, don't have yeah. to use a recruiter, don't use a recruiter. Like I, yeah. And especially like I would always say to people, if you do know people that that's the warmest way into a job. So yeah, absolutely. I think that's the right way to go about it. And in this, in that same time period, just randomly, I get a message from the person who was the senior VP of marketing at Aptus when I got hired there. I just get a random message on LinkedIn from her that said, hey, Eric, it's been a while since we talked, since we both went our separate ways. Here's the company I'm at today. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we're all about. We're growing super fast. We've got a whole ton of marketing roles open. If you know anybody interested, send them my way. And the way my mind interpreted her message was, come back to work for me. Yeah. So, yeah. I, so I, I shot her a message that said, hey, I'm interested. Here's a link to my calendar. Let's talk. So she and I met the following week. I talked to a couple of members of her team that same week. And so in that third week of my job search, then I got a third job offer. So then, you know, it's what do I do now? I have these three offers. They're all with companies that I know, or at least now I know, because of, of the, the VP of marketing coming back to me. She was the chief marketing officer at Active Campaign, the company I ultimately went to work for a while back. And I had that tough decision-making process of how do I figure out where I want to go to work out of these three offers that were all salary-wise, at least as big as what I was making full-time at IT Equality. So the money wasn't really a question. It became what else is important to me. Obviously, benefits is important because I have a family. But more important to me are the, the kind of the intangible things that I always value really strongly in an organization. Diversity. Is the leadership a diverse organization? Are, are the members of the, the team's do they, do they come from all walks of life and all diversities and, and all backgrounds? Do they value that as an organization? I think that's probably the one thing that was the big deciding factor between two of those companies was, was looking at the publicly available information about these organizations and seeing a leadership team that was five men and one woman or a leadership team that was four men and three women or, or five women and four men or whatever, uh, and seeing various colors in those teams as well, not just white men or whatever. All of that stuff is big for me. It's all important to me. 
along with supporting the LGBT community, for example, is another thing that's big with me because all of those aspects of life touch my family personally, the, the mixed race relationships, the LGBT community, my family has members of all of that in it. So it, it hits home. So it's super important mm -hmm. for me. And, and I wanted to make sure the company that I was going to valued all that as well. So I guess on that perspective, I mean, that's my advice to people trying to decide between multiple job offers is don't just look at the job and the pay, but look at all this other stuff that's important to you and, and weigh that into the decision. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's really important to work out what is important to you before you start that process. Because, you know, a lot of people yeah. don't know what they're like, they know the salary they're looking for, and they know what they want to do. But actually, if you've got offers from multiple companies all offering the same things, how would you differentiate? And I think like at your core, you know your values and what's important to you, whereas some people go into those and they don't know that. They don't really know what, yeah. what they would look for to differentiate. You've really seen the power of a network. Like you said, you, you, you got three offers really quickly from having a strong network. The ecosystem has grown so much. You know, There's so many people in the ecosystem now. And I know obviously COVID and restrictions on traveling and restrictions on events have made networking more recently face-to-face -face more difficult. But on the whole, do you find it easier to network now, COVID aside, let's let's imagine COVID never happened, than back in the day when you first got into Salesforce? Is it more difficult now or easier based on how many people there are and you know trying to find your way through the ecosystem with so many people that you could potentially network with? Personally, I think it's a little easier now. But some of that might be just me. The people who know me really well today are going to laugh when I say this, but I used to be an introvert. I used to be the guy sitting in the corner of the room at meetings or at, at events waiting for someone to come say hi to me and come talk to me uh, instead of the person up on stage talking about personal branding or how you grow your career or whatever. So somewhere along the, the growth of my Salesforce career, somebody or something happened and that eggshell of my introvertedness kind of cracked open and fell off. And I suddenly became this person who isn't terrified to get up on stage in front of 200 people and talk or organize something that's never been done before, just because I felt like it had to be done. So to me, I think it's easier. Some of that might be personal because of all that and because of my strong brand. But I, I also feel like Part of the reason it seems like it might be easier today is simply because there aren't so many in-person events where people would run into somebody in, the, in a hallway at an event. Oh, hey, I want to talk to you. Or, oh, hey, nice to meet you. I've, I've known you on Twitter for years. But now because everything has been virtual for so long, I think everybody kind of craves the one-on-one -on -one conversation and wants those personal connections more than they used to. So from that perspective, it may be easier for a lot of people. What about consuming information and consuming content? Because there is so much content out there. Like I know uh, the power of the internet and the power of, you know, it's a, it's a global ecosystem. So you can, you can go on to Brisbane in Australia's user group from where you are in the US and, you know, you can, you can be there present just by a Zoom link now. So that's obviously, there's so much content. How do you stay on top of everything that's happening and stay connected and stay, you know, do you just pick and choose what you want to hear and listen to and, and see based on the topics that you're interested in? Like, have you narrowed that down or do you still keep it quite broad and, and want to know a bit of everything about the ecosystem? Yeah, you know, it, it's tough to keep up with everything going on in Salesforce, the ecosystem or the product, either one, really. There's so many new things and so many conversations that come out all the time. For me, I think 
I, I kind of use a, a targeted approach where I look for specific topics, probably more than anything, or in some cases, I, I look to see where a specific speaker is going to be, or who's running the meeting, perhaps. I mean, I, I have been on calls at midnight. I've been on a, a Zoom call with a, a user group in India at midnight my time because I, I wanted to hear the conversation they were having, or they invited me to speak, perhaps. And so I'm... <laughs> Perhaps I'm crazy enough to to not worry about the time clock and what time of day it is. If there's a conversation going on, I want to be part of it. And another thing that I do that I probably wouldn't necessarily recommend to some people, but I, I sleep with my phone next to my bed. It's my alarm clock, actually, so there's the real reason. But if I happen to wake up in the middle of the night for whatever reason, I, I reach for the phone and I check my notifications. And then I discover I could very easily spend the next two hours responding to tweets and, and emails. And, and suddenly it's, oh, now I got to get up and go to work, but I've already been up for three hours. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's one we won't recommend because I'm the same. I, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I can be on my phone all hours of the night and uh, yeah, it's probably not best. So yeah, and you obviously someone that's been in the ecosystem a long time, achieved a lot. Uh, Hall of Famer being one, you know, starting um, the the dreaming events. But what are some of your fondest memories and and best connections that you've made across the ecosystem over the years? Oh, wow. You know, one year, I think it was 2016, when I was working at Aptus, I had a presentation at Dreamforce. I was was in a session at Dreamforce with Kyle Olonghi and David Liu both other longtime Salesforce MVPs. And actually we were talking about career growth and personal branding in that session. And my family had been bugging me for a long time about, we'd love to see you without the beard. I mean, I've had this basically since I was started growing facial hair when I was 14. I've always had a beard or a mustache or both. And my, my wife and kids were like, will you shave it off? We want to see you without it. So I thought, okay, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it for a cause. So I created a fundraiser for for my favorite nonprofit, Project Night Night, and said, I'll go to Dreamforce with no facial hair if I can raise 2,500 bucks for Project Night Night. Uh, I raised about 3,200. So obviously I was, I went to Dreamforce and first thing I did when I got to my hotel was shaved it off. I went totally clean shaven, no beard, no mustache, no nothing. It was weird. I could feel my cheeks again. It was kind of bizarre. But it was an interesting experience because when I was standing at the front of the room for this session, and a, a good friend of mine who I hadn't seen in about two years was going to be there, and she says, I'm going to be in your session. I'm going to be front row because I want to talk to you when the session's over because we haven't seen each other in so long. So the three of us are on stage just waiting for the clock to tick over to the top of the hour to start the session. And I can see my friend sitting there in the front row, and she's kind of looking up at the stage, and she's going, well, that's Kyla, and that's David but who's that? And where's Eric? She didn't recognize me because I didn't have the facial hair. You'd and lost your personal as, friend. I suppose so. Yeah. But as, as soon as I started speaking, she's like, that's Eric. And it was just hilarious to just kind of watch her, her realization and, and see her jaw hit the floor when I started to talk and she realized it was me. And I was there in front of her the whole time. Probably one of my most enjoyable Dreamforce experiences was just watching her reaction to that. Um, <laughs> But you know what? I, I've had a lot of good times in the community at Dreamforce and at other events. 
Project Night Night has been a big part of my life for years now. I first met Project Night Night through Salesforce. The year I became an MVP, they invited all the MVPs out to California for a meeting for about two days to meet with senior management and, and product executives and things like that. But they also had Project Night Night come to this meeting. So we all spent about an hour or so with Project Night Night learning about their mission, which is to basically provide some sense of security to homeless kids. Project Night Night provides a blanket, a book, a stuffed animal, and a tote bag to carry it all around him to these homeless kids all around the country. Might even be all around the world. To be honest, I'm not 100% sure. But as soon as I met Project Night Night and helped them create some of these Night Night packs, as they call them, thinking back to earlier in my career and the struggles that I went through, I realized those could have been my kids. And I didn't want that to happen. To, to my kids, so I certainly don't want it to happen to others. So from that point forward, everything I did that I was doing for a cause became Let's Support Project Night Night. So one of the other things that people have known me for is what's become known as the bacon breakfast. I do a breakfast at Dreamforce every year that started in in 2012 as the newbie breakfast, uh, because the first time I attended Dreamforce was 2011, and somebody hosted a breakfast called the newbie breakfast, and it was designed for first-timers to Dreamforce. Let's get together for breakfast on the first day of Dreamforce so you meet somebody early on, so you'll have a familiar face in the crowd while you're walking through the conference and, and going to all these sessions. Now, keep in mind, Dreamforce in 2011 was small by today's standards or by most recent Dreamforce standards. I think there were 25 or 30,000 people in attendance that year instead of 150,000. But what surprised me the most that year was how often I ran into the same 15 people that I met at this breakfast throughout the whole week of Dreamforce. So the next year rolls around and I'm looking for this breakfast because I wanted to go again. It was fun. I met a lot of great people and I couldn't find it. So I sent a message on LinkedIn to the person who organized it and said, hey, are you doing the breakfast again? And her response back was, I'm not in the Salesforce ecosystem anymore. So if you want the breakfast to happen, it's on you. So I grabbed the bull by the horns, as they say, and I found a place to host this breakfast and organized it and the only challenge I had then was the, the place I was going to hold it only wanted to do one check for everybody that showed up. They asked me how many people were going to be there. And I said, yes, I don't know, 50, 75, maybe. And she said, if you can pay it all as one check, we'll do it. She says, but if we have to do individual checks, we're going to suggest you find somewhere else. So I, I thought, well, I'll figure out a way to do it. So I, I used Eventbrite, created an event, and I sold tickets to this event. I think it was $20 a ticket and told people when they come, get whatever you want on the menu, the bill's covered. And in my mind, I thought if I had enough money to pay the bill, great. If I had leftover money, I'm just going to donate it. And Project Night Night became my, my donation of choice. And I've run that breakfast every year at Dreamforce ever since until Dreamforce kind of stopped happening recently. But through that process, and that was also who the money went to when I shaved my beard off, was to Project Night Night. Through all of those fundraisers, I've brought into over $35,000 to Project Night Night over the years. Well, it's incredible. And it's like it just goes to show the power of the ecosystem as well. Like I think people that aren't in the ecosystem just don't understand that. Like even the concept of a newbie's breakfast, like how amazing that someone went out their way to organize that. And then, you know, it takes a lot of planning, like all of the events you run to, to put on these things. So, and you're not doing it for you, you're doing it for the ecosystem and, and for, for a cause as well. So yeah, right. it's, uh, it's uh, honorable um, to, to do that. 
Final question, and I guess the theme of the discussion has been around networking and personal brand. So if you were to start your journey again now, like you're a brand new entrant into the Salesforce ecosystem trying to find your way, how would you start networking and building your brand? Oh, wow. And, you know, all along my journey, everything kind of happened by accident until I realized what had happened. And then I became intentional about it. So I, I guess where I'm going is if I having that knowledge already and, and starting over, I would probably be very intentional about the choices I make and, and the way I was going to start marketing myself, what I was going to do in social media or wherever. I'd probably have much more of a plan in mind of where I want to go and how I want to get there. And I'd be very intentional about the process instead of what happened years ago where it was, this happened to me and I just took advantage of it perhaps, or kind of reap the benefits of something happening. So think about where you are today, where you want to go and how to get there and then make it happen. Yeah, nice. Nice. Well, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed hearing about your story. And yeah, an inspirational one. And uh, really, really great to have you on the the show. Um, If anyone wants to reach out and pick your brains or ask any questions or um, explore any of the the topics we've covered today, where's the best place to contact you? Yeah, so I'm probably the best place is actually Twitter. It's just Eric Dresch on Twitter. My first name and the first half of my last name. No underscores, no punctuation, no spaces, no nothing, just Eric Dresch. And be happy to chat. I mean, I love, I love talking to people, obviously. And I, I have lots of conversations with people new in the ecosystem and, and always enjoy helping them figure out how to get where they want to go. Awesome. And, uh, and like you said before, you can expect a, a reply at all times of the night from Eric. <laughs> Probably true, <laughs> unfortunately so. But yes, uh, I'm not, not shy on those, that's for sure. So thanks so much, Ben, for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All the best. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talent Hub Talk. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love it if you could subscribe and also leave a short review. Um, We're keen for this podcast to reach as many people in the Salesforce ecosystem as possible, and your reviews will help us.